Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text is the epistle lesson for today. These words particularly. Set your mind, Paul says, on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. What's your mindset on life? If you looked at the American Heritage Dictionary, you would learn what the word mindset means when it says that it's a fixed mental attitude or a disposition, it says, that predetermines a person's responses to and interpretations of situations in his life. A fixed mind. What's your mindset toward life? What's that fixed mental attitude that you have toward life as you live it and death? Carl Gustav Jung, the 20th century Swiss father of modern psychoanalysis, had something to say about modern man's mindset. And it's not the most encouraging thing. He said the central neurosis of our time is emptiness. Not a particularly positive mindset about the mindset of modern man, is it? To say that his particular mindset is one of emptiness. And Viktor Frankl, the famous Austrian analyst of modern culture, agrees. And he says, clinics are overcrowded with people suffering from a new kind of neurosis, a sense of total and ultimate meaninglessness in life. A devastating and debilitating mindset. Now, while we certainly wouldn't agree with Jung or with Frankl about many things, about their understanding of the nature of man, or about what is done with the problem that man has, we wouldn't agree with them in their psychoanalysis of that, yet their understanding of the problem of man is something that even they have been able to detect. They, they sense that emptiness and that meaningless, that mindset of modern man. Not that it's only modern man that has had that mindset. Indeed, it goes a long ways back before that. Listen to the great 19th century American philosopher and writer and humorist Mark Twain. You've all read, I'm sure, at least in part, something from Mark Twain, the humorist, and appreciated his witticisms. Before his own death, he reflected upon the inevitability of each man's death, and here's what he wrote, and listen to the mindset that he has. He says, a myriad of men are born, and they labor, and they sweat, and they struggle, and they squabble, and they scold, and they fight, and they scramble for little mean advantages over one another. Age then creeps upon them, and infirmities follow, and those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to aching grief, and then death, the release comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift that earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence, a world which will lament them a day and then forget them forever. Now I've enjoyed the witticisms and the humor of Mark Twain. But this, I have to say, is one of the most discouraging comments that could be made on the very nature of man, that behind that, that vintage humor of Twain, there was obviously that emptiness, that same meaninglessness, 
that those that came before him spoke of. Sadly, an emptiness and a meaningless that Twain himself was never able to overcome. Not that Twain was the first to struggle with it either. Some of you had to memorize these words, I'm sure, in high school. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Shakespeare, Macbeth. You see, Earth's greatest literary and philosophical and psychological minds have all, while looking only at things here below, have all concluded that things don't look so good for man here below. Feelings of hopelessness and despair that reach back through time as far as King Solomon of old that we heard about today in the Old Testament lesson. Meaningless, meaningless, your versions have vanity, vanity. In the Hebrew it can also mean emptiness, meaninglessness. Meaninglessness, meaninglessness, utter meaninglessness, everything is meaninglessness. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun, Solomon says? All his days, his works, his pain and grief, even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity, meaningless. There it is. From those who some would say are Earth's greatest sages, and though speaking from different times and from different places, they all interestingly end up with the same words, emptiness, vanity, meaninglessness, hopelessness. Ultimately, it's despair. No wonder it happens so consistently. They all, like us, are, are sheep, Isaiah's sheep who have gone astray, each to his own way. And you know what happens when we go our own way in the world. We all get lost. That's the nature of man. Our self-imposed lostness becomes that emptiness and that meaninglessness that man feels, hopelessness, that has him desperately looking everywhere for something to fill that void that he feels, looking in all the wrong places for all the wrong things, grasping everything and anything that comes within reach in order to find that meaning for life. David Kinnisberg, a modern writer said, if this century, the 20th he was speaking of, is to be remembered for anything at all, it will perhaps be for the speed with which we embrace things and then let them go. He makes a good point. The speed with which we embrace things and then let them go. That desperate quest to fill the void, the meaninglessness, with something in life, and so modern man grabs for anything and everything that he can. And that has him soon finding himself engaging those very things which alienate him from God, which gives him the real meaning in life, alienating him more and more from God, the very things which St. Paul says belong to our sinful earthly nature, and then he lists, as we heard in our epistle lesson today, some of those things that do that. Sexual immorality, man grasping to fill his emptiness. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desires, greed, yes, greed, tearing down our barns and building bigger ones, Jesus says in today's gospel, bigger and better barns that can house more and more material possessions because though as our epistle lesson says we have ample goods laid up for many years, ours is still the age perhaps more than any other which has been possessed by our possessions. That's greed. Trying to fill that emptiness and that void, sexual impurity, immorality, lust, desires, greed, the tale of our time. The tale of two cities, whether it's San Francisco or Washington, D.C., every city in between and every city in the world, the tale of our times, everywhere. And for those who might somehow think themselves exempt from this, it's interesting what Paul does when he adds such things as anger to which we would all confess, rage, malice, slander, language unbefitting of our lips, lies, other such things, he says, all of them, but outward indications of that inward insidiousness of sin which Paul says belongs to your old sinful nature. So you see the problems within us. A problem compounded by the fact that, that we think that we can solve it by something new that we would bring to ourselves, to our time, setting our minds on earthly things, St. Paul says. Maybe our wealth. And then only we find that we have to hand it over, as Solomon said in today's lessons, to someone else. Only to hear God say, as Jesus says in today's gospel, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. The vain hope of man, searching for something new, for that novel treasure of earth that will bring pleasure back into life and give meaning to it all. And so it is that advertisers build industries and empires on that very innate human quest for that new you that's out there that's to be found, that's to be enjoyed. There's a, a new you in that new car out there. There's a new you in the food that you eat. A new you in the pills that you take or the analysis that you receive. A new you in the beverage that you drink, even the brand of clothes or the cologne or the shoes that you wear, a new you somewhere in something out there, set not your mind on earthly things. Set not your mind on earthly things, but set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, God's word today powerfully informs us that there's only one way for the new you to emerge from the old you of your sinful nature, and that's through a death. And that's through a resurrection. A death and a resurrection in you that only God can accomplish in you. The old you, the sinful you, must be crucified. No option. The old you, the sinful you, must be put to death. The perfect law of God requires it. For the soul that sinneth it shall die, God says. 
If God is to remain true to his word, if he's to remain true to himself, the Holy One before whose presence all that is sinful is laid waste, then the old you must be put down. And do you know how God has chosen to put you down? That he might then raise you up again? He drowns you. He drowns you in baptismal waters. Don't you know St. Paul says that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? The old you was put down in the putting down of Jesus Christ upon the cross where for the sins of the whole world he is put down into a hell that we can only imagine a death so dark and so deep and so dense that our worst notion of it fails in comparison to the reality of all that it is it only scratches the surface of what horrors lie below you were hidden with Christ scripture says you heard it today you were hidden with Christ in his death you were hidden in him so that your soul will never not ever have to die that death eternally you've died in him in Christ what a precious dear thought friends hidden in Christ your soul through baptism has already gone through the ultimate death and the resurrection just as Christ hidden in you through his body and his blood that you receive in the sacrament will sustain you and keep you and preserve you until that day when from the grave your dead ears will hear his voice come forth and your dead heart will beat again and your dead eyes will open again and your dead limbs will move again and your dead mouth will once again join the chorus of earth's saints and the angels and the archangels of heaven singing holy 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 never to be silenced by sin again you see you died saint paul said past tense it's happened you died and your life is hidden with him with christ in god in the cemetery in Hanover, Germany, is a grave on which were placed huge slabs of granite and marble that were cemented together and were fastened with heavy steel clamps that belongs to a woman who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so she directed in her will that her grave be made so secure that if ever there were a resurrection, it surely would not reach and affect her. On the marker were inscribed these words, quote, this burial place must never be opened, unquote. Well, in time, a seed, a little lowly seed covered by the gravestone began to grow. Slowly it pushed its way through the stones coming up from beneath them. And as the trunk enlarged, then the great slabs of granite and marble were gradually shifted so that the steel clasps were wrenched from their sockets. You know how that goes. A simple seed, a tiny seed that became a tree 
pushed aside the stones. A simple seed, that tiny seed, gave witness that life indeed conquers death for all. The ancient Greeks who had come face to face with death without Christ could, could do very little but concede themselves to death saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. But we who are hidden with Christ in God have a different mindset, a different predisposition toward life and toward death. We have a mindset that says, yes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.